Hey everybody, this is Ray Telsch, and this is episode 27 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. I hope everybody is doing well out there, taking care of themselves. Uh, things have gotten a lot more serious since the last time I talked to you. But I also kind of feel like I said my piece last week, at least for now. So I'm not going to dwell too much on the current crisis that the country is in. All I ask is please take care of yourself. Please take care of others. Be kind. Do what you can to reduce the curve. Listen to the directions we are being given. And let's get through this. And while you're at home, hunker down. Watch some movies. Play some games, do your best to take your mind off of the situation that we're in. Um, that was the question I asked on this week's Friday Inquiry, which I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time on just because this episode's going to run a little long already, and I'd like to try and keep them within a certain length. So I probably will ask that same question on this week's Friday Inquiry on Facebook, Have Not Seen This Podcast, on Twitter, Have Not Seen This. Uh, and then I'll just share the results next week's show for what people have been watching over the past couple of weeks, because whether we want to face it or not, we've got another couple of weeks of this. Uh, listen to some podcasts. You know, I've got a back catalog. You, I've had many guests on here uh, of different podcasts, many of which I'm happy to recommend. And I, I put in an appearance on another podcast last week. Uh, I was on two episodes of Real Rundown. They do three episodes a week, if you can believe that. I can't. I'm barely squeaking by getting one out. But last Wednesday, I appeared on their show to discuss Onward, the latest Disney Pixar film, which is now available for you to watch in the comfort of your home. And then last Friday, I joined them for a top five Pixar films. So if you want to hear me rank my favorite Pixar films, head over to Real Rundown and check that out. A really entertaining group doing that podcast. Uh, I hope to have them on as guests on this show in a little while and hopefully to return over there. It was a lot of fun and a good distraction. That said, I recorded an episode for this show last night. Uh, that was a zombie movie, without giving too much away about it. And when I was watching the movie in preparation for it, I was thinking, this really kind of doesn't feel right given the current climate of the world. So that that's an episode that I have, I have in the can. Um, I, I already talked with the guest and told him I'm probably going to uh, keep that one for a little while until things lighten up. And so... I don't get a say in the movie selected, that's the golden rule of this podcast, but I can request certain kinds of movies, I guess, without feeling like I'm breaking that rule. So I went on one of the podcasting communities that I'm a part of and asked for some guests to bring some more lighthearted fare for the next couple of weeks and got a lot of responses from that. So we're going to try and do things a little lighter here. Uh, for the next little while, some comedies, some feel-good movies, uh, stuff that hopefully will help raise spirits rather than diving down into some of the darker films that I have scheduled, but can certainly wait until things roll over. Uh, as I said, this episode runs a little long, but it is possibly one of the most entertaining episodes that I've put out to date, and that is not 
on me. I'm just the host, but my guest for this episode, Emily Slade, is a phenomenally entertaining young lady. Uh, she is quite possibly the most energetic and vivacious person I've ever had the pleasure to talk about movies with. Um, she brings a passion for the films that she discusses, both to her own podcast, which is called Why This Movie, and the, also to the episode of this podcast that she's appearing in. Now, she brings Labyrinth to us to discuss today, one of my all-time favorite movies. And I'm so happy that she brought it, and I'm so happy about the discussion that we had about it. So I'm not going to talk anymore. Well, I am going to talk on the end. I'm going to give you a follow-up to something that is said in the episode. So I have the feeling some of you will be bothered by something that I say in the episode, but I'm going to wait till the end so I can follow up on that. So, so stay tuned for me at the end. But for now, here we go with 1986's Labyrinth with Emily Slade. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> um, I'm technically an actor, so I work for a carpet company. Um, I started my podcast, uh, 2017, and then I took a break and then resurrected it in 2019. I look back on the movies of your childhood. Yeah, I live in Suffolk, which is the countryside. I used yeah, to gorgeous. London. The countryside is much nicer than London, have to say. <laughs> uh yeah so you're an actress yeah yes but you said you work for a carpet company so how does yeah. how does that work <laughs> so i graduated drama school last july and i'm working on my own sort of stuff at the moment i'm sort of taking that writer's route as opposed to the audition route um, and I'm hoping to get something up and running to tour next year. And so in order to save money for that, I work in a company that sells flooring. Gotcha. Okay. So the carpet <laughs> company is just kind of your, uh, this is how I pay the bills while you work yeah. on something you're actually interested in. Yeah. Cool. So what, what kind of acting have you, have you done? Professionally, very little. Um, uh, since graduating last July, I've had a couple of auditions for a musical and a touring festival. But other than that, nothing really. To be fair, I haven't really been putting myself forward for anything because I always knew I wanted to sort of do my own thing anyway. Um, so I'm hoping to write a one person play and uh, start touring that around the country and like maybe the globe who knows <laughs> that would be <laughs> <Pretty> wonderful <laughs> now london has a great theater scene um mm. when when i took my trip to london a couple of years ago I, I took in a show at the globe but then i also took in like two or three other shows as well just to to get a you know a flavor of the the west side and such yeah yeah yeah. it's really nice a lot of variety as well you don't have to just go see a big musical you can go see like a Chekhov or a Shakespeare or like some random new writing yeah well no and I was astonished I mean we went and saw um a stage adaptation of the commitments mm. which was really good yeah um we took in Les Miserables which I, I just that was like my fifth time seeing it on stage <laughs> yeah. but then like we were just walking down the street and happened to see a theater doing Richard the third and it had Martin Freeman of all people in it just yeah. randomly placed on the streets of London. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's so many like uh, pub theaters and fringe theaters and 
uh, so many theater spaces like people will just turn something into a theater space um and put a play on there like so many theaters that i'd never even heard of that i'm suddenly more aware of because since we all graduated people are getting into things and doing things and going to and appearing in places i never even knew existed doing things i never even knew were possible do you know what i mean like the you're right the scene is enormous um there's lots of work out there but whilst there's lots of work there's even more actors vying for that work so <laughs> right right so who are your inspirations as far as uh, an acting career goes i mean you, you're talking about doing a one-person show I, I know that's become a little more common but yeah. like who do you who do you look up to who do you hope to emulate i mean not not copy but you know who who, yeah. who, do you, who inspires you so it's primarily come down to one person who you probably won't have heard of his name's david william bryan and he started doing this a few years back um, and he's like cracked the code on it and he he tours doing one person plays and it's phenomenal. He does everything himself. He writes it, directs it, stars in it, usually produces it himself as well. He's got like one tech person and he just goes around the country doing his plays that are incredibly successful, always like sell out venues. And he just gets to do what he loves every day just by like, working super hard at it and i'm like yep that's yes that one please that is <laughs> brilliant and like yeah uh he's that he is who i want to be as it were um more gotcha. so than like any of the sort of big you know i'd love to be emma watson but oh yeah well, <laughs> i'd love to be emma yeah. watson frankly <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's gonna take a lot more luck and money and <laughs> exercise. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, last question before we actually get to the movie, and, and you don't have to give a specific number if you're not comfortable with that. But just as a sense of context that I kind of feel like will be important to the discussion, what age range do you fall into? Are you in your your twenties, your thirties? Uh, yes, I am in my late twenties. Uh, I was born in 1991. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> cool. So the concept of the show is, you know, have not seen this movies that were surprised when people have not seen. Mm -hmm. What are your have not seen this movies? What are movies that you're constantly reminded that you have not seen? Um, Die Hard. I've never seen Die Hard. Ooh. Mm, it's a big one. Never seen Die Hard. Um, I've not really seen Dirty Dancing properly. Okay. Um, and... That's interesting. That was actually filmed close to where I am. Oh, that's cool yeah um i know a lot about it but i've not really i i like saw it once like on tv but you know when you're not really watching it and you sort of tick it off and you're like yeah i've seen dirty dancing but like i haven't seen dirty dancing and i definitely haven't seen die hard no idea about die hard cool all <laughs> right well today we are talking about a movie i was a little surprised you picked um given the content of your own show but as we talked about a couple minutes ago you You've actually covered this one on your show, but I, mm -hmm. so I guess just another opportunity to talk about it. And that's 1986's Labyrinth, directed by Jim Henson, written by Terry Jones, based on a story by Dennis Lee and Jim Henson, starring David Bowie, Jennifer Connelly, Toby Froud, Shelley Thompson, Christopher Malcolm, Brian Henson, and Dave Goals. TriStar Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents. Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets and Dark Crystal. Oh! Where you go with a head like that? Hmm? George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga. Hmm. 
and one of the most innovative forces in modern entertainment, David Bowie. <laughs> Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible, and nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars with no one. And I'm going to start this off with the the log line for the movie that appears on Amazon, because I want to get your reaction to it before I ask you to describe this movie. And Amazon describes this movie as a young girl who enters a world of her own creation, experiences her first awareness of love, responsibility, and danger. Oh, I've literally never heard it described as that before. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. It's interesting that they pull out on the world of her own creation because it's not really something whilst you can definitely argue that that's what it is it's not really something you consider it feels more narnia-ish in that it's just like there and then she's just like part of it but then when you look at her bedroom and all of her junk that she owns and the shit that she does on a daily basis it's like a hundred percent her own imagination which is a trope I absolutely love. And I, and I love not only in this movie, but elsewhere when you find that, the idea that if you're paying attention early on, or I guess on a review, yeah. you see what inspires the different things that she encounters when she's in the labyrinth yeah. there in her room. Definitely. I mean, from the word go, you've got like a fiery up on the shelf. Obviously, Jareth is like on her bedside table. And then she's got the like Ursha poster of the stair. Like it's it's everywhere. It's 100% her own imagination. I don't think she, uh, it's not romantic love that she finds, it's um, sibling love, I would argue, because she's there to save Toby and nothing can stop her doing that. And I think it's even meant to be her like stepbrother, because it's her stepmother. So it's, it's sort of the bond between the siblings. That's a really good point because that love part of the log line really bothered me because yeah. I I don't see a romance between her and Jareth. And no I know way. there are shippers out there who like that idea, but I don't feel like the movie generates no, that. No, like she's obviously David Bowie and you can't not <laughs> fall in love with him. But <laughs> her priority is the child she has the opportunity to be with him, but he is clearly sadistic, abusive, uh, controlling, disgusting, uh, way too old for her. Um, all of these things. And like, whilst he constantly talks about how he's in love with her, he A, doesn't show it very well or nicely. And B, she never retaliates. She's never like, oh, actually, like there's e-. not even when they're doing the whole like, I've drugged you and we're having a masquerade. Even then, more like, whoa, what the fuck? Where am I? Uh, Yeah, you're David Bowie, so, like, of course you're hot, but, like, also, can I leave now? Not once is she really, really, really like, oh, this could be a life that I could get used to. I I think it's interesting you put that, you you put it that way, because I I specifically noted when I rewatched this last night to prepare, 
you know, his line towards the end of the movie, he says, I ask for so little, just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will be your slave. Yeah. And I was like, wow, it's the epitome of the toxic relationship right there. I have been generous up until now, but I can be cruel. Generous? What have you done that's generous? Everything. Everything that you wanted, I have done. You asked that the child be taken. I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightening. I have reordered time. I have turned the world upside down. And I have done it all for you. I am exhausted from living up to your expectations. Isn't that generous? Literally. And like, of course, I'm going to put my hands in the air. And when I first watched this, I was about 14. Um, and whilst I don't ship them because it's more powerful for them to not be together, obviously, like, this movie was my sexual awakening, and David Bowie <laughs> covered in glitter, like, was very appealing, and I would have given anything to have been Sarah on the understanding that you get to leave and win at the end. If you had to stay, that's a whole different story. And that's a, whole, a good point. A whole different, like feeling and romance and love okay so how do you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it how do you sell someone who doesn't know this movie on wanting to see this movie okay so david bowie that's how you start uh, and that gets everybody in right there so you don't Everyone's have to go like, any further <laughs> plays one of the most iconic characters of film in a superbly imaginative movie by jim henson where a young Sarah Connolly, Jennifer Connolly, God, <laughs> that's how much <laughs> she's just Sarah to me. A young Jennifer Connolly has to save her younger brother from him. I think I think that's the points I would hit on if I had to be brief and entice people in. I'd be like, "Yo, we've got some hardcore puppetry. We've got some sexy David Bowie. We've got a young Jennifer Connolly, which is everybody's favorite thing." And it, it's just so imaginative and visually stunning, this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would get people in on. And then, like, if people were like me and I knew they were like me, I would be like, yo, like, this movie has everything. It has a dance with the devil. It has, like, glitter. It has, like, <laughs> <laughs> fun little anti-fairies. Like, I love it when a fairy is evil or, like, a mermaid is, you know, something that's usually painted as innocent and then it's just, like, put a little twist on something as simple as that will get me so when the fairy bites him at the beginning of the movie i'm like yep love it on board yeah this definitely subverts you know audience expectations in that regard that Mm -hmm. here's here's this world of myth but it's not what you think it is Mm -hmm. and so funny as well so funny little inventions funny little creations in every scene there's something weird happening somewhere to do with like a puppet and like when the little man comes out of the tile and he's like, ah, your mother is a freaking old back. Like what? That's amazing. <laughs> it's like a fraction of the movie. It's like a second. You could blink and miss it, but it's like brilliant. And then suddenly your your mind is blown because you're like, wait, what? There's like people living under the stones as right. well as the door knockers are alive and there's creatures in this. And every segment of the labyrinth is like Disney World. You've got your like adventure land, then your sci-fi land, then your fantasy land. Like, you're so, you're in a you're in an actual like cement concrete wall, and then you're in like a lush uh, garden with trees. Then you're in like a bog, 
Uh, then you're in like a junkyard. Then there's a city. Like what? This place is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the variety of the the situations that they that they put her in. That it's not just this stark labyrinth, you yeah. know, with the with the hard walls throughout. That's only a, a small fragment of her time in the labyrinth. That's mm-hmm. that's a really good point. So why? Labyrinth as your choice. I mean, this is a movie you've covered before on your own podcast. Why uh, bring that one to this show? Whenever I talk about it, I always feel like there's more I could have said. And on the basis of bring a movie that people who listen to this podcast may then go and watch if they haven't, any exposure I can give this movie, I will. I didn't come to this movie until I was 14, as I said, which is quite late considering it's like, fuck it. And when I first got it, I watched it like three times a day and then I would keep it in my bag. And anytime I went anywhere, I'd be like, do you want to, do you want to watch this movie with me? <laughs> like, do you want to just stick this movie on? I don't know. Maybe we should just stick this movie on. And I did. And I made everyone I could watch it. And so I'm still doing that, but without physically carrying the DVD around. I think that's why I chose it. Cause you're right. I could have chosen anything that I haven't ever touched before. I've talked about this movie a lot on various different places, but I just, Every time I'm like, there's more, there's more I could have gone in on for. I want people to understand how this movie consumes me. And I've only given like 40% of how I feel about it out to the world. And like, I, like, does that make sense? Like I just, yeah, I would talk about this movie forever. <laughs> I think that's what I'm doing. And I'm, and I'm glad to see, I'm glad to have someone who loves it, bring it to the show <laughs> because it's actually been brought up several times over the course of this podcast so far. Uh, in episode 11, we talked about Dark City. So Jennifer Connelly's in that. We talked about her starting out in this movie. Mm. And in episode 21, which was The Princess Bride, my guest had quite a few things to say about Labyrinth there as well. <laughs> so you've actually got some weight on your shoulders here mm-hmm. uh, to, to kind of, I guess, even defend the movie to some degree. <laughs> I've got that. I was born to see that. <laughs> so both of those episodes, I will, I'll have to say... One of the common things that I said is Jennifer Connelly is terrible in this movie. Okay. Explain why. <laughs> um, she, well, her acting is, is quite terrible. I mean, she's, she's young. This is her first real movie. Um, she doesn't, she just overacts, especially at the beginning. Like when you watch the first 10 minutes of this movie, it is just this petulant child uh, temper tantrum. And I realized when I rewatched this last night that I, I still think she's terrible in this in parts of this movie, but I don't completely blame her. The script doesn't give her a lot to work with, especially in that first 10 minutes, other than being a petulant teen. It doesn't give her a lot of dynamic uh, background for her character. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would say that you're absolutely right. It's her first movie like what we can argue 85% of this movie she's working alongside people in all black with their hands up the ass of puppets <laughs> going <laughs> she's not face to face and being able to react which is what acting is at all really because she's she's with inanimate objects that are being controlled by other people very rarely does she get any face-to-face acting. And the majority of that is at the beginning of the movie with her dad and her stepmom. She also, the writing is, it's a coming of age story about this girl and they have to establish that she hates her brother and she hates her parents and she hates the world. And she just wants to do her own thing. 
Mm -hmm. they have a very small time to do that. The writing is could have been neater, but they got what they needed to say because that wasn't the focus. The focus of this movie was going to be the world, the labyrinth and everything that happens in it and the puppets within that and the detail and the the different characters and bringing all of those things to life. The the fireies was something that had never really been done before. That kind of technology, that sort of green screen aspect to it was one of the, the earliest examples of that. And so I think their focus was a little, uh, it was elsewhere to convert like and they were just like but she just needs to be angry and like upset at the beginning and that's fine we'll just do that and like because of that then it's an even starker change when she comes out of the labyrinth and she's like yeah yeah i'm upstairs it's fine and she's like cut and like as a child you can be like oh that character has gone on a journey um <laughs> and i don't think we can entirely blame because david bowie thought she was a fabulous little actress so <laughs> You know. Yeah, and I, again, rewatching it, I, I do think she's better than I was giving her credit for. I still do think she's she's terrible, especially in the she'll first be, like ten minutes. Yeah, she'll be wooden. She probably hasn't had much practice film acting. If you've gone from stage to film, which I don't know if that's what she did, that's an entirely different breed of acting. It's very very tricky to go from one to the other. Oh, well, she was only like fourteen when this movie was made, so I yeah. don't even think she made that transition. I just think she was new and she was thrown in with a script that maybe did didn't give her enough to work with. Mm -hmm. Definitely. No, I agree to an extent, but I do think it, it's very hard. It's like people talk, I recently talked about Space Jam with Michael Jordan and I'm like, as much as you want to say he was a bad actor, you try acting against nothing at all. Right, right. And it's kind of the same scenario here where she's just got felt eyes to look into that aren't giving her anything back so she has to bring her own energy so she's leading this movie and has to keep the energy up whilst not being able to balance that off of anyone do you know what i mean yeah the the other statement that was made in those previous episodes was directed at the fireies um <laughs> And the the con the statement that was made was something along the lines of that they're they're terrible, the effects are terrible, and there's really no reason for them to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm stabbing you with these reactions. I get it. I really do. It's like that. I and I, someone said this before. I think what people don't like to say about this movie is that it's fucking fantastic and therefore they try and find anything they can to dick on it and it's always david bowie's dick and the the massive like lump in his trousers and right. fireys and jennifer connelly's acting um i can't say for sure i should have googled beforehand but i'm pretty sure it was one of the first times that they had used this sort of green screen thing because how they did the fires was they had the body sort of uh attached to the legs of the puppeteer and then obviously the heads were controlled by the hands so they could be removed at ease so because right. someone came up with this concept and they wanted to give it a go and i think we should commend people trying things oh, and yeah. trying to progress animate well not animation but um puppetry and technology and this this mixture of the two they do look horribly superimposed onto this background um, I like the song, but I can understand if you don't, because especially compared to some of the other songs, it, it, it's that sort of annoying one um, in comparison to the like beautiful like David Bowie numbers that you've got. Um, right. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's also quite scary, which is something I enjoy about it because it there's not much real threat in the labyrinth, seeing as our antagonist is also our main love interest. 
Um, and I think the sort of uncanny valley, the plucking out of the eyes and the weird voices that, and the way these creatures move is quite off-putting. And I, and, but it's still in this vibe of fun and jovial, like, oh, just take your head off. And you're like, what? what? No, oh my God, leave me alone. Um, and you're a little bit scared for her and it, it gives Hoggle an opportunity to rescue her. And I don't know, I, I, what, what do you think they could have replaced it with if they didn't have the fire aids? Well, first of all, I love the fireys and the, the song is one of my personal favorites Yay. from the movie. Like when, when my guest said that about the fireys being terrible, I, I didn't make the sound that you just made a couple minutes ago, but I felt it, <laughs> but, but rewatching it. So I have this theory about, I guess, journey movies or quest movies that they tend to fall into one of two categories, especially fantasy movies like this. Mm -hmm. They fall into the category of the wizard of Oz where you have an active protagonist who's on their quest. And along the way, they have these weird encounters, but they are active about those encounters and reactive about those encounters. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, you have Alice in Wonderland, where your protagonist is kind of just going and they encounter weird stuff. And there's not really any change brought about by it. That's true. That's fair. For most of Labyrinth, it falls in that Wizard of Oz category where Sarah is an active protagonist. She reacts to the weird stuff that's going on. She's got a, a dedicated objective that she's trying to get to. Mm -hmm. But the Fieries suddenly ventures into that Alice in Wonderland territory where there's no real purpose to it. There's not really anything that comes from her encounter with them. It's just a moment of just weird shit. And so I think that's... The, the to me that's the basis of the criticism is if you remove yeah. that scene from the movie other than hoggle coming back to rescue her it doesn't affect the movie one way or the other i still love it i love the fireies yeah but i can kind of get it I, yeah it's a good point it's a little bit big fat lipped alligator moment tea but I don't know, like, yeah, because I would argue that Hoggle does need to come back to rescue her because then she kisses him. So then they end up in the bog of eternal stench and then right. they reunite with Ludo and then they meet Sir Didymus and then they're able to go forward and then he gives her the peach. And like a lot of stuff happens because Hoggle saves her from the fireies. Now saying that Hoggle could have saved her from literally anything. They could have made her fall in a pit of spikes like anything could have happened but they possibly were like hey we've written a song so like right let's fucking put that in there it's time for a song we haven't had a song in a while because um, <laughs> i love those a lot of people have a problem with those those movies that were like are we a musical i don't know but i think we should have a song here because like it's for kids and kids like songs right it's a really weird one i mean obviously i have the soundtrack and have done oh yeah several years and yeah, there's like f the fiery song is the only like the second, maybe third, if you count the masquerade time that someone almost turns to camera and is like time for a song. Otherwise, it's just like music or like song over credits, song over action. Oh, and I guess the one with the staircase as well. But it, it's different when David Bowie's doing it because it feels almost like he's monologuing in a way when he yeah. sings. Whereas the Fireys is completely different. We don't have anything. Every other song is David Bowie being like, how do I feel right now? Whereas the Fireys is like, ah, it's a fucking kids movie. Let's do some shit. Woo! And, 
And that's a really good point because I always feel like the David Bowie songs feel like a music video was inserted into the movie. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the the fiery song does just kind of feel like a musical number in this movie. So mm-hmm. I, I guess it's weird because on one hand I'm saying it doesn't belong here, and on the other hand I'm saying it kind of belongs in this type of movie more than the other songs. Yeah, and I think it's like how Russell Crowe sounds bad in Les Mis because he's oh god a, a, a rock star singing musical numbers and trying to take it seriously, and everyone else is act singing. So everyone's like, he can't sing. He can sing, he's just not fitting yeah. with the tone of this movie. So in that sense, The Fireys is a very... But then isn't that the point of the labyrinth, you know, like that sort of like and we turn a corner and WTF, what's going on here now? We've got people with like teeth on sticks and oh, now we're in a bog and there's like a fox that's like defending it who can't smell. And oh, God, now we're here and they're singing like what? Like if you break down all the different parts of the labyrinth. The Fireys is just another sort of, wait, what moment that belongs just as much as the door knockers and the, your mother was a freaking aardvark person and the the (laughs) doors that go down into the oubliette with the riddle, like, do you know what I mean? I feel if you, if you take a step back and look at the labyrinth, it's like, well, there's the garden with the singing demons and there's the doors with the riddle telling two-headed dog shield and there's the worm <laughs> like everything's a little bit different and a little bit with there's the junk lady with like her pile of junk like mm-hmm. everything's just like a little bit different from before and but still belongs in this world and that's how weird this world is but again i get it if you're sort of used to just like here's a weird puppet and now we're moving on and david bowie monologue sings and here's a weird puppet, and now we're moving on. And David, and then suddenly you've got a musical number. It could be a bit more sort of jerking in terms of like, oh, this doesn't belong. But I think if you take a step back, you'll find that it does belong. So many different directions I want to go based on things you've said. We haven't even gotten to the critical reviews yet, but I'm going to put that <laughs> off for a second. because I, So we're actually not that different, despite being uh, different in age. Uh, this movie came out in 1986. I was 14 in 1986. <laughs> So I saw it around the age of 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had the soundtrack. I remember doing chores as a teenager, listening to the soundtrack to this. So I have to ask, have you read the novelization? Mm. I don't think I've read the novelization. I've read the manga, The Return to the Labyrinth. And that I haven't read. Okay, interesting. Yeah, the novelization fills in a lot of little details here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, like... It shows Sarah as a little more intelligent when she gets into the oubliette and Hoggle, you know, tells her, oh, it's an oubliette. You probably don't even know what that is. She then derives, oh, that's from the French for to forget. And Hoggle's like, oh, well. So it shows Sarah as a little more intelligent. Um, The ring, it it makes a big deal when she's giving Hoggle jewelry that she gives him the bracelet, but not the ring because the ring belonged to her mother. Oh, cute. Yeah. Yeah, you have to kind of put the pieces together about her mother in the movie. Yeah, but that adds weight when she gives it to the wise man and Hoggle says, you didn't have to do that. Like, if you've read the book, you know where that ring comes from. So I I don't even know if it's available or if it's in print anywhere or anything, but I do recommend, you know, grabbing a copy if you can. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing, which I'm now disgusted at myself for not knowing it's a thing. I'm actually (laughs) on Amazon right now. I'm going to buy it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've talked about the songs a little bit. What's your favorite of the songs? Oh, man. 
Um, hang on, I'm going to have to get them all up because I cannot make that decision lightly. Because <laughs> I'll say something and then I'll immediately be like, wait, no. Okay. Uh, I have to appeal to my 14-year-old who first saw this. Otherwise, I would be doing her a disservice. So it's got to be, and I'm sorry, opening titles, including Underground, because you are a banger. And I'm sorry, <laughs> Into the Labyrinth, because you're a beautiful piece of music. But it's got to be between As the World Falls Down or Within You, because it's that sexy, sexy, I'm in love with you, little bit of a pedophile, but you're 14, so you don't really care at that about that too much right now because he's just sexy and he's into you and like you're lonely and no one likes you so like if this sexy man was into you you'd totally be into him as well um it's gotta be as the world falls down it's, <laughs> it's the most basic bitch answer i'm kind of annoyed at myself because i love the piece of music into the labyrinth like it's gorgeous with the yeah. synthiness um but gut feeling and to do my 14 year old uh justice it's got to be that everything about that song is perfect yeah i know i totally agree that's the two that you mentioned are probably what i would have to flip between mm -hmm. and as the world falls down is probably what i would settle on yeah. so i totally understand and and probably for exactly the same reason of you know 14 year old you're developing emotionally you're realizing what love is and boy that is an awesome love song mm -hmm. yeah there's yeah just the song alone wins outright and then when you add it to the visuals like i went through a phase where i would only watch movies if they had a masquerade in them don't ask it kind of limits your choices doesn't it <laughs> oh no oh no well, yes, but like I would just watch those four movies. Like, <laughs> you'd be surprised how many movies have a masquerade. It's like that gothic opportunity to like express a bunch of shit. Like it's just a great way for your film to be like, hey, it's kind of sexy. Everyone's in masks. Batman Returns has a masquerade. Doctor Pan. Oh, Master it does. You're right. Has a masquerade. Or no, it has a dance with the devil. You need a dance with the devil on the masquerade. And if you can get both in one movie, great. Uh, that stupid shit Phantom of the Opera movie had one. Um, <laughs> what movies had them? <laughs> See, I was going to ask if you could name another and you've already given me three. So. <laughs> I love a good masquerade, man. And there's probably plenty more. I just can't think of them right now. Yeah. And, and the way the masquerade is how the camera work is so drugged up and the costumes are so freaking weird and I, I loved commedia and the venetian masks and everyone's wearing them and i was just like was this movie made for me like did they go into my brain and be like hey in like 15 years time this girl's gonna be born and laugh <laughs> <laughs> it up Do you or someone you know struggle through life with anxiety-related mental disorders? Ever get that feeling that you are one of the few? I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. Take a journey with me as I talk about key points in my past and how they may have led to me being diagnosed with anxiety and panic disorder. After which, we will talk about different ways to tone down the anxiety and maybe even beat it together on anxiety. 
The easiest way to remember the name is by thinking about how one searches for a state of zen in the midst of the anxieties of life. My name is Gerald, and I'm the host of Anxiety. Well, on the critical side, so the movie was actually kind of a box office bomb. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it didn't do well its opening week. It's really picked up momentum, you know, on DVD and streaming and that kind of stuff. Critically, it has the weirdest numbers I've seen of any movie I've talked about on here. Uh, it sits at 71% at Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. It has uh, an audience score in the 80s, but then it only sits at 50% at Metacritic. Ooh. And I've never had it that large a disconnect between Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic before. That's uh, I, yeah. Roger Ebert did review it, mm-hmm. but oddly, he provides our negative review. Yeah, but what does he know? Well, and <laughs> actually, save that question, because you're going to really ask yourself that question here in a second. <laughs> but he he writes, without a strong plot line to pull us through, all movies like this run the danger of becoming just a series of incidents. There's no structure to the order of the adventures. Sarah does this. She does that. She's almost killed here, almost trapped there, until at the last, nothing much matters. Great energy and creativity went into the construction, production, and direction of this movie, but it doesn't have a story that does justice to the production. Now, what does he know comes into another clip that I pulled from his review, which is one of the key characters in this film is Toby, played by Toby Froud. Froud is a midget who has been given a Muppet head to wear, and although the head is a good special effects construction, I kept wanting to see real eyes and real expressions. The effects didn't add anything. Hmm. what the hell is he talking about toby's a little kid yeah i think he got the actors mixed up because i was gonna say i was like wait doesn't toby's a baby what do you right fuck do you know robert ebert me and robert ebert we go way back we've had a whole barney (laughs) i i think he's talking about hoggle there but the fact that he gives the wrong character name and the wrong actor name really discredits his review entirely which does kind of do that what does he know like he couldn't even be bothered to name the actor inside the suit properly and name the voice actor and what a good job they were doing. Um, or the character for that matter. Cause he says it's Toby, which is the, the baby. It's so disrespectful. Like, did you even watch the movie? It's like somebody else watched the movie, gave Robert their notes and Robert was just like, cool. Oh, Roger, yeah. Roger. Roger. <laughs> this is how little respect I have. RIP. Um. <laughs> uh, the positive review comes from Tasha Robinson of the AV Club. And she writes, the best part about Henson's films is the craft that went into them. 25 years later, the fledging video effects look awful, but the puppetry is still impeccably convincing and the worlds retain their homemade, handcrafted, meticulously realized charm. Either from a technical perspective or from a storytelling angle, Henson had an unequaled talent for crafting worlds too perfectly realized to be disbelieved. Yes, uh, that's more like it. It's exactly what the movie <laughs> is. Like, it's difficult because I almost want to be like, I almost want to be like, the story doesn't matter. Of course it does. There is no film without a story. The story is just happens to be very simple. That's all. And it's it it's the same as you've said it's it's your wizard of oz's and it's your alice in wonderlands where a person gets thrust into a world to grow up via and that's the story fundamentally at its core and yeah. 
I think it's brilliant that you get to pay attention as much as you want to and be like, okay, so her mum was clearly like an actress and she died and like she's struggling with that and this is her way of lashing out and that's not her real brother and she has a lot of problems with that and she's a very imaginative creative young girl who's like feeling that I mean it was the 80s everyone who disappeared into a magical world had to have a parent who died to in order to deal with it and that's the movie is her getting over the death of her mother surely and growing up at the same time and respecting the family and the household and she does that through Jim Henson giving us some of the most creative, wonderful moments of puppetry and imagination we've ever, ever seen. And if you don't like that, you could just, <laughs> like, I don't know. It just, I almost feel like this movie doesn't ever need to justify itself. It is what it is. And you either like it or you don't. And you can't really be logical about it because it's not a logical movie. Do you know what right. I mean? Do you think her mother died? I think her mother died. Do you think she just passed? There's also um, people have zoomed in on some of the newspaper clippings uh, in Sarah's room, and it, it's almost implied that mo- that mother left them to go be an actress. Right. I'm going to stick with her dying. You're going to stick with her dying. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's intentionally vague, yeah. and I think that makes more sense. Because if it's her mother abandoned her, then wouldn't her anger be pushed at her mother as opposed to her stepmother? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And how quickly did the dad move on to this stepmother? Yeah. Well, it's obviously been around for a little while because Toby. Yeah. That's why I always thought died. Because like, uh, then doesn't, but doesn't she pack the picture of her mom into the drawer at the end? Yes. Yeah. She puts away the, the scraps of her mom and her mom gave her the music box that's at the heart of that masquerade that you talked yeah. about. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's intentionally left vague, mm-hmm. but, and, and according to this, the novel says that mother left too. I don't remember that part of the novel. It's been years since I've read it. I just, mm-hmm. little things stuck with me. Yeah. It would make, it would make sense. Either, either way, she's having to get over something to do with a parent. And, yeah. it, and it's about leaving childhood. It's it's growing up as well, getting over and growing up. Yeah, I mean, when she hands Lancelot to Toby there at the end of the movie, it just it reminded me of that that old phrase about you know a time for putting away childish things. Yeah. And that's that's what she's doing. She's passed Lancelot on to her little brother, and she goes to her room and she starts packing up that stuff. But at the same time, you have that moment where she admits that she needs them in her life. Definitely. And like she goes from one extreme to the other almost. She's like, okay, this is all junk. What's important is my family. But then she's like, but I do need you every now and then. Like my childhood, I need to look back on my childhood every now and then. You're a very important part of who I am. So don't go away forever. But I need to start a life without you as well. Um, And I think that's much more explicit and relevant to the modern teenager than say The Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland is literally a drug trip where no one learns anything. <laughs> and The Wizard of Oz is almost the same in that it's like, well, what did she get over? What did she achieve by going to Oz? Again, she just learned that she loved her home and her family, but she did before she left. She wasn't disrespectful to her aunt and uncle. She wasn't, do you know what I mean? Like it, I don't yeah. know. Sarah, like Sarah went on a legitimate journey that was relevant to me as a 14-year-old girl. Dorothy yeah. and Alice didn't. Well, and I and I love that you keep bringing up the you know all the stuff is junk. I love that scene mm-hmm. in the the junk heap when she's in her room and the the junk lady is you know 
trying to, uh, I, I guess, tempt her with all of these things, mm-hmm. you know, her dolls and her toys. And the way the camera shot is she's building that pile of junk on Sarah's back. Yeah. I love that shot. It's so good. It's so clever. And like, and the way, the way she does it as well, again, as a 14 year old that grew up very privileged, had a lot of material stuff and, and it's like, oh, your panda slippers, you love your little panda slippers, don't you? Because you do, you, you give personality and meaning to all of these things around you. But at the end of the day, they're not as important as your family and the people around you and, and you and how you're growing. And I think that's a really important message to separate material goods from what's truly important in life again and it's it's not something you really because they're able to do it without being capitalist about it or right capitalist about it they're just saying hey a part of growing up is letting your childhood go but not entirely welcome to this growing up so what would be in your junk heap (laughs) um I'm such a hoarder. I still have a bunch of stuff. Uh, <laughs> definitely like my teddy bears. Oh, I had some dolls, Barbies, um, like arts and crafts, like literally the same as Sarah's. Like she's got like a, a painting kit and some a, a pencil case. I had a pencil case like that's Dougal from the Magic Roundabout. And um, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We've hit it. We've hit the American UK like line. About <laughs> was like a 1970s children's program that was written by Emma Thompson's dad, I believe, and it was just oh. about a magic roundabout that a girl would go to, and it would come alive, and it was all sort of stop motion, and they made they made some movies out of them with Bill Nye and a couple of other people in them, and check it out. Oh, Definitely check it out if you haven't heard it. Okay. You never heard that. Mm, no, can't say I have. Oh, man. Well, that's something for you to Google. You're <laughs> I I love walking out of my own show with a list of stuff to check out. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of the point of the show to some degree. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, very, very similar to, to Sarah's. Um, just a bunch of different stuff that you were able to like find your artistic side and decide with like, I hate doing jigsaw puzzles, but I loved painting. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough to be able to figure that out by having this stuff to play with as a kid and like, try out and find out who I am through these toys. Um, like how in Avatar where Aang picks the four toys and they had, they were the same four toys that's picked out by every Avatar and that's how they find out who the Avatar is going to be. Do you, do you understand my reference? I, I don't because I don't know Avatar. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I've never watched it. And it's funny that you say that because my girlfriend makes an Avatar reference while we're watching this last night that Ludo is an earthbender. Ah, he so is. <laughs> he literally is. Um, yeah, in the last Airbender to find the new Avatar, they pick some toys and it's always the same four toys that every Avatar picks. And because it's who you are and it's how you express yourself and how you find out who you are through toys. Um, if you're lucky enough to have as, and Sarah will be a well-rounded great person because she's had like these opportunities to try everything out. And, but she has to then let them go and go forward with the skills she's learned from them. You know, like the, she'll have learned compassion by being like Lancelot is mine and you don't touch him to Lancelot is yours now 
um, right. I'm able to share like something as simple as that. That's yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I don't think I had really paid attention to it as a coming of age film as much as I did on this repeat viewing, mm -hmm. but it certainly is. I mean, and that's definitely kind of the, the things you're hitting with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always saw it as that always, 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 but then I think I see everything as that because you can to an extent, if it's got a kid in it, regardless of the subject matter overall, chances are you can argue that it's a coming of age story. <laughs> a kid going through something and coming out the other end changed. I want to talk about Sarah's uh, sidekicks for a minute because mm. you have Hoggle, who is, again, kind of undermines your expectation of what a sidekick is going to be. He, yeah. he tells you flat out from the beginning, he's a coward. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you have Ludo who looks like he's supposed to be the big monster and turns out to be, you know, the one with the heart of gold. Mm -hmm. You have Sir Didymus who, as you described earlier, you know, is kind of the fox, but who can't smell anything. Mm -hmm. What do you think about these characters? Which, which is your favorite? Uh, I know a lot of people love Sir Didymus, but I have to say, cause bear in mind, I watched this movie like three times a day, every day. So I watched it a lot. So this is justified. I would get to a point where I would fast forward the Sir Didymus bit where he's fighting with Ludo. Oh, I know, ouch. I know, I know. And a ouch. lot of people would have that reaction, but I have to say, I was all about the Sarah Jareth relationship um, to the point where I couldn't really care less for a bunch of the sidekicks for a good while that I was watching this movie. So this is a really difficult question because I was like, the movie's not about them. This movie can happen without them. And of course it can't. But I was like, right. That's that's actually that was something that was brought up that I was reading when I was researching for this. Is the the worm at the beginning of the movie? She has that encounter with the worm, right? Mm -hmm. And the worm tells her, you know, don't go that way. If she had gone that way, she would have gone straight to the castle. That castle. And she probably would have died. Yeah. Because she needed to go through the journey and meet these friends who were there to help her mm -hmm. succeed in her goal. Yeah. Yeah. And and. I haven't ever thought about this. This is top of my head. You could, there's probably an argument somewhere that they're all aspects of her personality, probably yes. somehow reflections of who she is or who she wants to be. If I had to pick, I would say Ludo. And I know Sir Didymus is everybody's favorite, but he just annoyed the shit out of me. I don't know why. I don't know <laughs> if it was the like stubbornness. I don't know if it was the, like I was, uh, this movie everything happens quite short like everything's quite like a small segment and that fight between Ludo and Sididimus seemed to go on for my entire life I also just didn't like the bog of eternal stench I used to be very like anti-toilet humor and anti like anything gross like that so I would hate mm -hmm. the scenes in the bog of eternal stench because I was like this is nasty I don't like it um, and he just made us stay there even longer. So I was like, enough, who is this fox and why is he still talking? And he had that annoying voice, which oh. now I really appreciate. But at the time I was very much like, shut up. Like, oh my God. I, I was focused more on like vocal talents this time through. And I, I found it really funny growing up. Kermit was not my favorite of the Muppets. He is now. Uh -huh. And he's probably the one I relate the most with, <laughs> but as a kid, Gonzo was my favorite of the Muppets. Oh, yeah. And Sir Didymus has always been my favorite of the the helpers in the yeah. in the movie. And they're both voiced by Dave Goles. Oh, perfect. Which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so Ludo is your if you had to pick. If I had to pick, I'd say Ludo. But then Hoggle is so interesting. He goes on the biggest journey. He like changes. He has an arc. 
which is more yes. than you can say for the others. Because you know what else? It's when they're at the gates of the castle. And bearing in mind, like, this is Twilight Mode, where I have put myself into Sarah. She is my Christian Stewart blank slate that I have, like, I am Sarah. And I've come to the fucking gates of the Goblin City. And Sir Didymus is like, oh, wake up! I command you to wake up! And she's like, shut the fuck up, Sir Didymus! I'm trying to sneak in! So again, I was like, oh my fucking god, Sir Didymus! Do you understand what's happening? Have some responsibility! So it really used to annoy me. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, okay, I can totally... You're you're justified in that. Then I won't I won't uh, I won't argue against that at all. You're not wrong. <laughs> but I did really like when he used to be like, um, "My lady, my lady, my lady." There's something about those three times that he says that when she's like passing out or whatever. I right. Used to be like, oh, he cares. Whereas Hoggle's already like run away by this point, and Ludo doesn't have a clue what's going on. Yeah, that was a nice bit of voice acting that always stuck with me as like a sound bite when I was a kid. And I was like, mm, yeah, like it. Love it. On it. See, I want I want backstory on some of these characters, which the movie doesn't provide. Like, yeah. what happened that Sir Didymus has to wear an eye patch? You know, why does Hoggle walk with a limp? Yeah. But isn't that so cool that you're just dropped in and not everything has to be explained because you're just like, oh, yeah. Ooh, Labyrinth. How long? Like, were they born here? Who were their parents? Were they created? Did, like, Jareth make them out of clay and breathe life into them? Uh, do they have enemies? Like, is there a family of Ludos? I think there is in the manga. I can't quite remember. I'm going to have to reread it. And you should read it. It's very I'm, good. Yeah, I'm going to have to read it's, it now, too. It's like a sequel. <laughs> so Toby's, like, the same age Sarah is in this one. So, and then, yeah. Speaking of sequels, there has been talk of them making one. Nope. What are your feelings on that? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> like before i even go down the like hey they did that with dark crystal and whilst i was really happy that we went back into this world and these puppeteers were able to show their craftsmanship and hopefully it's introduced this wonderful movie to a new generation fundamentally i still have not finished the new dark crystal because i just found it very slow and boring to get through without jim Henson oh. at the helm, this movie can't work See, that's I was going to request that of you, and now I guess I won't. Because <laughs> <laughs> I listened to your Dark Crystal episode specifically, and I was hoping maybe you could partner back up with your guest on that one and talk about the series now that you finished it. But oh, you no, still haven't finished it, so finished I guess. It. <laughs> God, it's so good. It's so. I know it starts out slow, but it is so good by the end. Yeah, I do want to get back into it, just just for the sake of finishing it. But I just. I mean, you'll have heard my thoughts on The Dark Crystal anyway. It, it can be quite slow at points and can be quite difficult without that human. I think there's a reason Labyrinth is more regarded than Dark Crystal because we have that Luke Skywalker human person to guide us through this world of puppets. Right. Um, and I don't know if that makes me a lazy viewer or a disrespectful puppet lover. I don't know, but like... I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Okay, but yeah, and I... Like, what, what would they do as a sequel? Would they bring Jennifer Connelly back as, like, an adult Sarah? Because then you would have to... You can't do it anyway, because David Bowie's not here. Don't even think... Don't even mention the word remake. Don't even go there. Right. We're not even touching that. Like, that can fuck right off. Um, yeah, no, the, the rumors were that it would be Jennifer Connelly as an adult Sarah, but then through interviews, it was discovered that nobody had ever talked to her about it. So <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to end up happening. Yeah. 
Yeah. They could recast her like the Dark Knight. Suddenly she's played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. But I just don't, I don't think it, because what would you do? It's a growing up story. She grew up. Like what, you want to see her pay rent? It'd be like season five of Buffy, where she's just like struggling with the bin <laughs> men and like the social worker. And you're like, for God's sake. Go fight some demons. Oh, damn, you're entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to hit on one point that I still have in my head here that you talked about, the Bog of Eternal Stench. Mm-hmm. The ending of that scene is really problematic to me mm-hmm. because Hoggle keeps making the point that if you even get a drop of the bog on you, you'll st- you'll stink forever. Yeah. And, and then Ludo summons those stones that come up through the bog. So if they yep. step on them, they're going to have bog on them. This is the thing. Like, I always thought the same. Now, you could argue that as they're rising, the water's, like, running off of it. So even if there is, there's a very thin layer, and you could argue that it has to touch your flesh. That's what I always did. I implemented, like, extra rules to be like, (laughs) it's fine. (laughs) Don't think about it too much, because this seems gross anyway. We want to just get through it as quick as we can. But um, it's a funny uh, stake isn't it? It's not like yeah. you'll drown and die. It's like, you'll smell forever! And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Like, it's not ideal, but it's better than, like, choking or drowning. True, <laughs> true. Which could have been that. This labyrinth is very child-friendly and safe, ultimately. And as much as I harshed on Jennifer Connelly, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you have to give her credit that it is through her facial expressions and the puppets, of course, but you know they have multiple people working on them, mm-hmm. uh, that you get the sense of just how bad the Bog of Eternal Stench smells. The yeah. actor has to communicate that because there's no way to, to you know, provide that to the audience. And I yeah. think she does a good job with that. There. Oh, definitely. I think that's one of the reasons I hated it so much because it did seem so visceral. Like, you've got all of them, like, barely able to talk because it's so awful. And then Sir Didymus is just there with no sense of smell. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this place is shit. Let us go. And he's like, no. And you're like, oh, my (laughs) God, please. I think that's what it is. I let myself get caught up in the journey of the labyrinth so much that I felt everything that Sarah was feeling. So, again, the reason of my hate for Sadidness comes from the fact that he was like, none may pass without my permission. And it's like, I swear to fucking God, this place is disgusting and we need to leave right now. And if you don't get out of the way, I'm going to throttle you. Like, and I think that's where it comes from. I was just too much in the mindset of Sarah where I was like, get the fuck out of the way. Well, may we have your permission? Uh, okay. Fuck you. Fuck you. Oh my God. All right. We've actually been talking for almost an hour. Do you have any other points you want to make about it before we move into the end credits here? Um, Just quickly, something I have to bring up every single time. I like vocally gasped. I lost my breath when she's in the oubliette and he moves some stuff aside on the floor and he lifts up the door and he pushes the door against the wall and he opens it and a bunch of pots and pans fall down and he goes, ah, broom closet. And he shuts it and he opens it the other way and it's an exit. And I was like, that it's is a single shot. The camera never cuts away. Oh, I was like, I, I was, I was stunned. I was, can you believe it? Speechless for the like only time in my entire life. 
I genuinely, I was blown away when I first saw that. I genuinely lost my breath. I was like, I have never seen anything so magical. And like, I've seen Buster Keaton like sitting on a train and having a house fall on him. And I've seen like, oh, they do move in herds. And I've seen like fucking Mm. Elliot fly through the sky. But this door blew me away. I was like, who came up with that? Give them a fucking medal. And you know, they complicated the shot like a million times by making it one shot. They very easily could have cut away and then come back and it's, you know, that would have been easy, Mm -hmm. but there's some real magic in the way they show that on screen. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Knowing that there was no sort of cheat happening. That all just happened. Like who was like, oh, they should have a door that like appears from nowhere and then is like two different things. Like, that's so clever. It's so simple a thing, but it's so well done and it's so clever. And it's, I mean, everything in this movie, the helping hands, the like. Oh God, yeah. Like the the old man with the ah, blah, 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 like bird on the top of his head. like the, Which the is my little, favorite of her encounters. Oh, that one so right there. Wonderful. So funny. All of these wonderful characters. There's two lines from this movie that I quote quite frequently. And one of them is, it's so stimulating being your hat. <laughs> What's the other one? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Tra la la. Nothing. Nothing. Tra la la. Oh yeah, my god! Those two. So those two lines. <laughs> it's All right. Big. Well, let's move into the end credits here. First up, we have the algorithm says these are movies that are recommended based on you liking Labyrinth. So this is kind of a lightning round. Give your response. Is it a movie you've seen? Is it a movie you haven't seen? Do you not understand the connection? That kind of thing. Okay. All right, so first up, The Princess Bride. Obviously. Great movie, classic. I get it. It's 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 a different story, but it's the same vibe. It's that 80s fantasy. Love it. Yep. All right, The Never-Ending Story. Oh, my God. On par with Labyrinth. One of the greatest movies ever made. Just as inventive, just as imaginative, but, like, different because it's less American and more German. Brilliant. Love it. Ha- have you ever read the novel of that one? Yes, I have. It, like, the God. movie stops halfway through the novel. It's like, and Bastian yeah. went on to have many more adventures. And there's still like the equal Half amount the book. of book that you've read left. And I was like, wee! And, and I was telling my girlfriend last night, because she's never read the book, at the point in the movie where he, he, it references the book that Bastian is reading, when you're reading the book, when you get to that point, it references the book you're reading. It's so good! And that blew my mind when oh. teenage me was reading that. I yeah. lost it. Yeah, man. I mean, in the movie, I seriously thought I was going to get sucked into this magical world. (laughs) Oh, God. It's dangerous because you're like, please, 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 please. Like, it's so hard. Take me to Fantasia. I showed my friends this movie, and when she's like, they were with him when he hid from the boys in the bookshop. They were with him. When, and my friends lost it. They were like, why does this 12-year-old empress know that I'm watching this movie? (laughs) Right? It's so good. Oh, I love it. Uh, All right. uh, The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like girl falls into magical world. It's quite nice because it's not 80s. So it's, uh, and it's a musical. I get it. I love it. It's great. All right. Uh, Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, you just recently God. did an episode on I love this movie so much. Honestly, I apologize. If you go to my episode and try and hear me talk seriously about how wonderful this movie is and how creative it is, it's not. It's just me quoting the movie from start to finish with my guest going, God, wasn't that bit good? God, wasn't that bit great? Like, it's just that. I freaking love this movie, obviously, and it makes sense because it's Muppets, and I think it, it's funny that they don't have the Muppet Wizard of Oz, but I guess 
Muppet Treasure Island is superior. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I like Muppet Wizard of Oz. Now, I have to be—I have to make a confession though. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I have still not seen Muppet Treasure Island. Well, it was really lovely talking to you. I have to go now. <laughs> That's a shame. Um... I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that, and I'm going to listen to your Dude, episode on it. I don't know how honestly, I keep missing it. It's man. Like people talk about Christmas Carol and it is it is brilliant and you get to watch it every year. But Mother Treasure Island, my sister and I grew up on it and it's just it's the best adaptation of Treasure Island I've ever seen. It's one of the best literary adaptations I've ever seen. It's fun, it's funny, it's meta, it's Muppets at their most Muppety, but their most uh, that perfect mix between old Muppets and new Muppets, uh, like they yeah. get they get it in this movie and it's timeless and it's wonderful and Tim Curry is there in all of his glory. Right. Oh, it's uh, Yeah, I don't I'm know how I jealous. just keep not watching it because I have a copy on DVD. It's on Disney Plus. I have no excuse. Yeah, man. I'm genuinely jealous that you get to sit down and watch this movie for the first time. Like it's going to be <laughs> such a blast. You have such a good time. All right, a couple more. Uh The Dark Crystal. Yeah, makes sense. Jim Henson puppets. Love it. I mean, I do love it. I I talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. About how like I don't love it, but like I do love it. The Last Unicorn. Oh, just as good. Funny. Um it's like, I get why it's here because it's 80s and it's fantasy, but it's, there were so many 80s fantasy and they, they, these are all of my top favorite movies. Like I was on a, a podcast where I did my top five fantasy movies from the 80s and you've just listed them all. Like <laughs> I don't, The Last Unicorn really has not much to do with Labyrinth other than it's a, anime, a, a fantasy movie from the 80s. But um, I love it and I love Labyrinth. So if this is Emily's best movies, then... Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle. Interesting. Again, absolutely love it. It's technically, well, it was my favorite Ghibli until I saw Whisper of the Heart. Um, now it's my second favorite Ghibli. Uh, again, Interesting. Young, girl, okay. young girl whisked into magical time with magical right. person. Actually, it's very similar to Labyrinth in that sense. Yeah. Uh, age gap that shouldn't be there. All of those things. <laughs> Uh, the page master. I saw that once on holiday when it was on VHS and it was left in our little like hotel room in, in Devon. It's Macaulay Culkin, right? And the three books, one of them's Whoopi Goldberg. And one's Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I liked it. I never, I watched it to like tick a box. Cause I was like, I have to watch all of the fantasy movies from the eighties and early nineties. And I now have because page master tick. Um, I remember it being fine. Like perfect Sunday afternoon viewing. And lastly, Matilda. That's funny. I guess again, like it's there because like young girl going through thing. I love Matilda, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful movie. Love Mara Wilson. Adore Danny DeVito. Brilliant, brilliant film. Iconic, some may say. It's not a stretch to think that it would be here uh, reflecting Labyrinth, but I am a bit like, huh, surely there's like more movies to come before you hit Matilda. But I guess it's like, if you like girls doing some stuff that's kind of magical, you'll love this. <laughs> I ha- I have to confess, I also have never seen Matilda. That's strike two, man. One more strike, and I'm going to have to like <laughs> never talk to you again. <laughs> Matilda is iconic. I get it. It's definitely my generation. I don't want to call you too old to have seen Matilda, but... If you were 14 when Labyrinth came out, there would really not really have been a reason for you to have sought out Matilda. But I thoroughly right. recommend that you do. 
See, the and honestly, a lot of the time I don't mention that I have not seen movies on this list, but my girlfriend specifically wanted to hear how you were going to react to those two. So I I told her I would include it. <laughs> I get it. I think you have less of an excuse with Muppet Treasure Island and you oh, yeah, I don't. have yeah. to watch that. Um, I understand why you might not have seen Matilda, but I thoroughly recommend that you do watch it because it's iconic. All right, we always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions related to the movie we've picked here. Oh Are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. All right. Number one, clearly the movie connects several iconic artists with Jim Henson responsible for the Muppets, George Lucas responsible for Star Wars, and Terry Jones as a python. Labyrinth also shares a connection with Star Trek The Next Generation. What is it? Oh, my God. A, Patrick Stewart provided the voice for one of the false warnings. B, Jonathan Frakes created sound effects for the Bog of Eternal Stench. C, Gates McFadden choreographed the dance numbers. Or D, Will Wheaton played one of the goblins. Uh, I'm going to go with B. No, it's Gates McFadden choreographed the oh, dance numbers. That would have been my She's credited as Cheryl McFadden, but if you watch the documentary that, that comes on the DVD, she it's very clearly there's Dr. Crusher. Oh my god! See, I'm not a Star Trek, and I haven't seen that for about six years. Ah, uh, well, oh there you god. go. Okay, <laughs> all right. Do better. Number two, puppets can often require an army of puppeteers to bring one character to life. How many puppeteers did it take to bring the movie's largest creation, Ludo, to life? Oh, I know this. Um, A one, B five, C ten, or D twenty. Five. No, ah! actually, it's only one. Oh my god. But oddly, Hoggle required five puppeteers. Yeah, I think that's what I was confused with. Yeah, now they had two different actors who played Ludo, but they alternated because of the weight of the suit. Yeah. But only one only one puppeteer created Ludo. Oh, man. If you hadn't given me options, I would have said, like, three. So I went with the closest. <laughs> I rounded it up. All right, three. David Bowie was not the first musician considered for the Goblin no, King. Who else not. did Henson specifically have in mind for the role before he was convinced by his kids to approach Bowie? I know this. I know this without even you giving me answers. <laughs> All right. Who Is do it, you have? Was it Sting? It was Sting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, the choices were Michael Jackson, Prince, Mick Jagger, or Sting. Uh, all four were actually considered, but Henson favored Sting for the role before his kids convinced him to approach David Bowie. <laughs> They'd seen Dune. They knew what was up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And lastly, the fan favorite dance magic song features a baby gurgling before the chorus. Oddly, the sound isn't produced by the baby. It's so who created the baby's sound? David Bowie. David Bowie. That's David correct. Bowie. There you go. <laughs> two, so two out of four, not bad, but I'm you didn't even need the choices on those two. So that, that's that's great. I'm disappointed though. I could have done better. All right, Emily, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Why This Film Podcast can be found on all podcasting places. We look back on the movies of your childhood. We've recently done Muppet Treasure Island. We're going to be doing a goofy movie. We mainly look at movies from the 80s and 90s, but we have gone back to the 70s. We've even gone back. We've got um, a movie from the 50s coming up in a couple of seasons' Ooh. time. Um I'm always looking for guests. If you want to come on and talk about your favorite movie that you watched as a kid, please do. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Why This Film Podcast. You can email into us at whythisfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, it's I have fun doing it. So I hope. Now, if I admit listening. that I haven't seen the Goofy movie, is that strike three? No, because I hadn't. 
So okay. you get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I should have done. I was born in 91 and it came out in 95. And I just never got. It was always questions on my Disney Trivial Pursuit that I would get wrong because it was the one movie in the pack that I'd never seen. So I was like, I don't know. I have the exact same experience. <laughs> <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Well, Emily, I really appreciate you bringing Labyrinth to the show. You've been incredibly entertaining. Uh, I hope maybe I can get it, do a stint on your show or, or have you back sometime. Please do. That would be wonderful. Let me know what movie you want to do. I'm very always very excited to bring the Americans in because you all have movies that I've never even like heard of before. Like The Sandlot, someone said the other day, and I was like, the fuck is that? And like all of these Americans <laughs> are like, it's The Sandlot, man. I was like, okay. Have you seen Matilda? Um, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for thank being you. on the show. I really appreciate it. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this movie for the umpteenth time. All right. There you go. Labyrinth. Uh, great conversation. Uh, I loved it. Now, I-, I need to address the elephant in the room, which is that I gave some feedback there at the end about movies I had not seen that showed up on the algorithm says. And as I said, I normally don't do that, but I I was kind of challenged to do that this time. And I have to say in the two weeks since Emily and I recorded this, I have seen Muppet Treasure Island Uh, only just today, but I did get it in before the podcast actually aired. So did I like it? Yeah, of course I like it. It's the Muppets. Are you kidding me? I was born to love this movie. I'm I'm a huge fan of all the Muppet movies, even Muppets from Space. I, I don't think I liked it as much as Muppet Christmas Carol from the post-Jim Henson work, but that's a pretty high bar to live up to. But I really enjoyed it, and Emily was right, and Tim Curry is phenomenal in it. So I have seen Muppet Treasure Island Please don't vilify me for what I said two weeks ago when I hadn't seen it. So so there you go. That does it for this week. But you can keep the conversation going on throughout the week through social media. Uh, I'm at Talon Hess on Twitter. The show is at Have Not Seen This on Twitter and Have Not Seen This Podcast on Facebook. And of course, you can email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode where we set out to see the world. Things dangerous to come to, to see behind walls, draw closer, to find each other, and to feel. After all, that is the purpose of life. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks again to Emily Slade for providing this week's very entertaining conversation. Uh, Maybe you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you or you're particularly astonished we discover people have not seen. Come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. (laughs) 